Well, as you know, this week has been a, a week of complex emotions, um, making for me, in particular, this particular Sunday a little bit difficult. Um, I'd like to, before I pray, just share with you something that saddened me deeply and continues to sadden me, and that is um, how much lack of faith that I see in people uh, as it relates to tragedy in the community. I was standing on this platform, actually it was about 4 o'clock on Thursday, and a, a gentleman from Cron 4 with a big old uh, television camera on his shoulder came in and says, can I ask you some questions? And I thought, well, sure. Um, I don't know if I'm going to give you the right answers or whatever. But So he took me up here, and one of the questions he asked me, he said, uh, he said this, why, so why are you doing a prayer service separate from the memorial service? And I wanted to respond to him in this way. I wanted to say, you just don't get it, do you? But I didn't. I said, you know, we come because we believe there is indeed a God and a God who hears, a God who cares, and a God um, who ultimately is the hope for all mankind. And so to completely miss prayer or not set aside a time to call out to him is to miss the point entirely. Uh, We can have a memorial service and listen to speeches and so forth, but if we don't cry out to the Lord God to do something, nothing's going to happen. And that's partially, actually, that's the main point of us gathering together this morning is, is to console ourselves, um, to find strength and find encouragement in the truth that there is a God, a God who cares, a God who cared enough to come in human flesh and, and um, acquaint himself with our sorrows and with our griefs and to die on our behalf. And uh, so that's what I, I hope and pray will happen this morning is that we will encounter God as we have just encountered him in the words of the songs, but now through the words of scripture. So let me, uh, let me open us in a word of prayer. Our gracious and, and merciful, sovereign Lord, we come before you as your people who are called by your name and who profess to know Jesus and carry, as Jesus told us, the keys of the kingdom, um, keys that um, offer eternal life to people through the cross of Jesus and through the message of his death and the message of his resurrection. You have called us to be a people that bear witness through our works and through our, our caring deeds of compassion that Jesus is alive in us and that through our works they may raise their eyes and see that you are indeed Father and there is a God who cares. Now, Father, I want to pray that your Spirit would minister to us this morning through these words and that you would comfort those who have lost a friend, a brother, son, or just somebody who is a decent, influential person in our community. May you be lifted up, and may we see you, Lord, as one that can be trusted. In the name of Christ Jesus, our Lord and Savior, I pray this. Amen. I find it somewhat ironic that last week I I spoke a message out of John chapter 4, and kind of the essence of it was that, that we need to be consciously and presently aware of what the Spirit is doing moment by moment in our lives. And uh, ready to take the challenge to be praying, but also when the Lord reveals an opportunity or a work to be done, to have the courage and the faith to step into it and have your soul both strengthened and satisfied. Remember, my food is to do the will of the one who sent me. Well, Tuesday morning I woke up. Um, I didn't watch Monday night news, so I didn't know what had happened. And and so I woke up on Tuesday morning, and it's one of those mornings that you wake up and you think, wow, today is going to be a fantastic day. It was uh, the first day of school for my children, so we're anticipating the first day of school. We got them up, and I was getting myself ready, and I prayed the prayer. I said, 
All right, Spirit of the living God, I pray that you would give me the eyes to see and the heart and the courage to embrace whatever you have for me this day that's in or outside the normal plan of my every day. And it wasn't 20 minutes later that I turned on my phone and I got a text message saying Matt Garcia had been shot in the head. And it, as with you, I'm sure the first response was, nah, that can't be true. And then there's this feeling of sickness. I told my wife, I said, sweetheart, Matt Garcia just got shot in the head. And I went on the Internet, and sure enough, and she just stopped, and she just looked at me like, that, that can't really happen. Now, when I prayed a couple of moments before that the Spirit would keep my eyes open to opportunities, that's not the opportunity I was expecting or wanting. And yet, it once again shows us the lesson that oftentimes the Spirit provides opportunities that aren't free from difficulty or pain. Well, it wasn't two hours later when I came to church and I got a message that uh, Steve Wertheim from Jews for Jesus, who was supposed to speak this morning, had been called away because of an unexpected death. And so the guy from Jews for Jesus said, so do you want us to send somebody else or do you want to cancel? And when you put together the death of someone who's been influential in the community, not, not to mention the son of a family that goes to our church, And then God providentially moves another speaker out. It seemed pretty clear that I was supposed to speak this morning. And then came the next hard part for me, which is, okay, what do you want me to say then? Because this isn't in my sermon schedule here. What do you want me to say? I mean, what do you say to a people who are feeling the same kind of complex emotions that, that we feel, of combination of anger, outrage, grief, loss, um confusion maybe what do you say and so i've been praying all week lord what what do you want me to say i have no clue what to say and um and so i started on thursday i had some ideas of course thursday was very busy and so friday i wrote up a manuscript of what i believe the lord wanted me to say and and i got to saturday and i thought no that's that's not right that's not what i should say and so i rewrote it on saturday and i got home last night um i was supposed to be on a houseboat trip and we came back last night, and I, was, I rewrote it in the car on the way home. And uh, I put my head on my pillow last night at about 10.30, and I thought, that's not what I'm supposed to say either. But I did have the confidence that, that the Lord would give me something. And so, um, I don't know, about 4 o'clock this morning, I sketched this out. So it's, it's a little bit rough. Uh, it's not technically an exposition of a text, but I believe it's an accurate exposition of the God of the Bible that I've come to know. And so I hope you'll hear the heart behind it. Um, my main intent is not to do a Bible study, but to share the heart of God that I find in Scripture. And one of the things that the Lord wanted, I believe, me to focus on was just focus on the hope aspect of this. Um, but to do it in a way that, that is not insensitive to the pain and to the anger of people. Because there's, there's a way in which you talk about hope that seems insensitive and disconnected from pain, grief, and, and anger. And so my hope and my prayer was that I'd be, be able to do this in a way that does connect with that, that, that grief and that anger. Because both of those, those responses and those emotions are justifiably valid. I think it's important for us to know and even to share that we have a God who grieves with his people. And you see this... Uh, most fully in the life of Jesus where he loses a close friend named Lazarus in John chapter 11 and we find him weeping. That we have a God who does genuinely grieve with his people. 
And that's so important for my faith to know because that tells me that he's not way out there disconnected and aloof from the human experience, but he understands it and he grieves with his people. And likewise, we grieve, but not as people without hope. I also think it's justifiably valid to be angry, um, as I believe God was angered by the events of Monday night. And however much anger a human may feel at the injustice of one man taking a gun out and cowardly shooting another man in the back of the head, that God feels the anger far more deeply because Matt Garcia was an individual created in the image of Almighty God, and the person who did it might as well have looked at the Lord and said, Damn you. I know there's not a lot of place for anger in our, our culture, but... It seems to me that there is a justifiable anger in Scripture, both in the heart of God and the heart of His people, which is why David, King David could pray on a number of occasions when he was personally attacked and experienced injustice, where he could pray, Lord, get up, move off your throne, and punish wickedness. He prayed for it. And I think one of the reasons those prayers are in the Psalms is it liberates us to pray for justice to be done. You find the same kind of thing in the New Testament in one of those heavenly visions in Revelation chapter 6 where these murdered souls are seen under the altar by the Apostle John and they are crying out, Lord, how long will it be until you judge the earth and avenge our blood? There is in our town blood crying out from the ground to be avenged. And yet as a believer and a follower and one who trusts God and as a community of people like Parkway that trust God, it is our responsibility to be angry but not to sin but to deliver over to the one whose vengeance and revenge is perfect and to allow him to deal with it perfectly and proportionally because he does so in a calculated way. And if it is not done in this life through the means of state or at the cross, then it will be dealt with in hell. So I want to say that simply to connect to the fact that there is a deep, profound grief and there is a deep, profound anger, that all, both of which are justifiable. But to leave our, us there is, is to leave us in a kind of a state of uh, where there is little hope and joy. So if you will, I'd like to focus for the next couple of moments, and then I want us to pray, on the hope aspect of this tragedy. Um, now, you can look at hope in different ways. There is, of course, the hope of eternal life and the hope of resurrection, which is the ultimate hope. And from everything that I've heard from Matt's father and read upon his webpage and heard from those who knew him, he was indeed a follower and a believer in Jesus, which means to be absent from his body, which he is. He's now unshackled, unfettered in the presence of God and has absolutely no regret whatsoever at what happened right now. And to know that one day, as God called forth Lazarus and he came to life himself, he will one day call forth Matt Garcia, which means we haven't seen the last of him. There's that aspect of hope, of knowing that he lives and he will live, that I think should provide a level of comfort in the depth of of grief. But there's another aspect of hope that I think the Lord wanted me to share. And that is the hope of how God often works through tragedies, including evil. That the God of the Scripture that we find is a God who oftentimes works in opposites. That is to say, He is a God who brings light out of darkness. He is a God who brings peace out of violence, power out of weakness, 
wisdom out of foolishness, life out of death, and triumph out of tragedy. That's, that's, that, that's, that's the way I find God working through the Scriptures. So sometimes in the darkest nights, it's simply a prelude or part of God's working to create something new and wonderful and amazing. And the text that kept coming to my mind was a, was a text that, uh, that Ron Marlette has touched on just a few weeks ago, um, but with a different application. And that's found in John 12:23. Let me just read it for you and listen to the life that comes out of death. This is John 12:23. This is Jesus speaking. It says, Jesus replied, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. The man who loves his life will lose it, while the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My father will honor the one who serves me. And Jesus is, of course, speaking of his own death, but he finds principle in Scripture. That he says, unless a seed falls to the ground and is buried and in essence dies, it will not replicate itself. It will not multiply. It will not create fruit. But if it does die, it creates fruit. But then he goes on to infer, or should I say connect, the disciples to this principle when he says, if you want to save your life, you'll lose it. And if you'll lose your life for my sake, you'll in fact find it. You'll save it. There's these opposites again. That a seed dies, and out of that death comes other seeds. God brings life out of death. He brings fruit out of futility. And my thought this last week was, amidst all of the other stuff and feelings that people, you and I had, was, Lord, what are you going to do? What are you doing? How are you going to change us? And how are you going to change this community by something that has made such a profound impact and wave and reaction in our community? I mean, in effect, the death of Matt Garcia has slapped this community upside the head. So you've got to wake up. It has slapped us upside the head. But not without purpose. It's not without purpose. Unless a seed falls to the ground and dies, other seeds won't be planted and replicate themselves. And you know, my mind immediately, and this is um, reflections of my own, um, my mind immediately went to another great socially-minded individual, a man by the name of Martin Luther King. A man who, in that immortalized uh, uh, speech, said, I have a dream. You know, he had a dream for a community and a nation which, in which different races would treat one another with common dignity and equality. That was his dream. And that one line of his, of his speech that captured my attention still captures my attention when he says, I have a dream in which my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will be judged not by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. And then Martin Luther King, a young man, paid for that dream with his life and all of the same feelings of grief and anger that, that are felt in this community were felt then. But I would venture to say 
that his death did more to accomplish his dream than if his life had continued. That is to say, his death amplified the way he lived and the dream he had. It's like an exclamation point at the end of a powerful sentence that radiated outward and changed the face of our country. A tragic criminal act, an, an instance of violence that angered the Lord, yes, but something that was like a seed that was dropped to the ground that died and then replicated itself. It amplified his life. And I was thinking through some of the other people that I had that came to my mind um, who died prematurely, at least from the human vantage point. Some of you like the, 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 the music of Rich Mullins. His life was tragically cut short. And yet his music has gone global. The wonder of his Christian music has gone global in part because his death amplified his life. Uh, Keith Green, one of my favorite singers, uh, his songs are still with us and people still read his biography because he was a man with a passion for the Lord. His life was cut short and his death amplified his life. That is, that is unless a seed falls to the ground and dies, and if it does fall to the ground and die, there is this multiplication factor that happens. And that's a reflection of, of yet another young man. Another young man who came to change society, to change the world, to bring light out of darkness, to see people treat one another with mercy, love, and respect. A person with a quote-unquote dream, only this dream would come true. A man whose life was violently and brutally cut short. A man who was, who was killed because of jealousy, anger, and hatred. A man who was crucified before his mother and his brothers and his friends. The greatest tragedy of human history, the death of Jesus, and yet at the same time, simultaneously, the greatest work of God in human history. To bring conquest of death through death and to bring life through death, and to bring atonement through death, changed the way the world worked because he, he died. Again, sometimes for things to change, it requires a seed to fall to the ground and die. And then other seeds are, are replicated. Matt Garcia had a dream. You know the dream. You can read about it in the newspaper. You can go onto his webpage in MySpace and you can read about his dream. He had one of those dreams where, you know, mothers could lay their infants down in a crib and not be worried about a strafe bullet coming through the house and killing a loved one. And that is not a reality in our town. He had that kind of a dream. And I don't know for sure, but I dare say he probably died for that dream, a life cut short. But you can already tell how his death has amplified his life. It amplified his life. And, and again, that's not to discount the evil. It's not to discount the grief or the anger. It's just to put it in perspective and to give us hope that God is doing something. Do we know exactly what yet I do not no, perhaps this death will be working to the greater fulfillment of his dream than had he lived. I don't know. 
All I do know is that we have a God who calls light out of darkness. We have a God who calls life out of death, who calls peace out of violence. That's the way the Lord works. And I believe He will do this. That's the hope part, is to know that His death was not in vain. And to not lose trust that God is still in control and grieves with His people, is angered with His people, but also sees what's going to happen. And that is the part of hope, brothers and sisters, that I think we must desperately still hold on to. That God has not abandoned Fairfield. God is at work in Fairfield. I have seen more people testify in this town to things about Christ in the last four days than I have in the last 11 years I've been here. And that's the hope part. But that comes, I think, also with a challenge, you know, just the challenge of his life. And we don't want to make a God out of anybody. But, you know, um, John Barry and I were at a, at a restaurant over here next to the mall. And um, we stopped our, 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 they're not called waitresses anymore, our, our server. And we said, did you hear about Matt Garcia? She goes, yeah, I went to school with him. And she said, um, man, he was a, he was, he was a real bad kid when he was little, but something happened in his life. And then totally went the different direction. And I remember John Barry said, you know what that change was? She goes, no, I have no, I have no clue. And John Barry said, it was Jesus. That was the change. And to just hear in the lips of people and the stories of, of those, even in our own congregation who knew him, who had him on their baseball team, who had him come to their school, who visited with faculty members and teachers, he was a man who showed up He lived out a practical kind of compassion and service to our community. Very practical, but he showed up and he touched lives all over the place. That is is reminiscent of the life of Jesus. And what a challenge to us. To not remain locked away and hidden and distanced from our city. Or distanced from the not so beautiful parts of our city. And to engage it with simple but loving and compassionate acts of kindness that touch the world the way he touched the world. Thursday night, a little boy came in with his two sisters trailing behind him. He didn't know what he was doing or where he was going. He was probably a kid from the apartments over here. He just saw all the TV cameras and all the news vans. And he and his little sisters saw the river of people coming in a parkway, and they decided they were going to come in. And so he, with these two little sisters following behind him, came in, and I looked at him, and I assumed there was a parent, but come to find out later there was no parent there. And so I handed him this little folder with Matt Garcia's face, and he said, that's Matt Garcia. And uh, someone else said, yeah, sweetheart, Matt Garcia died, and, and we're praying for his family. And this little boy, like of seven years of age, you know, he, his eyes rolled up with tears and he said, What? Matt Garcia is dead? Someone killed Matt Garcia? And then he just looked at me and said, That sucks. <laughs> no, that's entirely what he said. He says, That sucks because he came to my school. He came to my school. He touched my life. And he walked out with the pamphlet in his hand. And it just struck me at that moment that... 
This is a person who not just didn't just touch the lives of people in government and in official capacities. He's a he's he's one whose life touched a seven year old by showing up at school. So the little boy comes into our church, realizes he's dead, and he's, he's dead, and he says, "That sucks." He came to my school. It also struck me and begged the question: How many of us, if God was to take us home suddenly? How many of us would have people say who were not family or friends? How many of us would leave a hole where a little kid who's seven year old, seven years old, would say, "Man, that sucks that he died." Some of you don't like that word, but I don't care. That's quoting my kid, and it makes sense. You know, obviously there's a hole in his life because someone cared, and that is part of the challenge of his of his life and the challenge to us. Just to make sure that we are not just talking about our Christian faith, but living out our Christian faith, with hope that God works through tragedy, but also seeing the challenge in it of, well, the remarkability of simply being a person who cares, a person who shows up, who comes out of our safe homes, and engages the world in which we live. That is part of the legacy He leaves behind, and part of the legacy I hope God uses. To awaken God's people in this community to be what God has called us to be, and it seemed to me appropriate that we we pray as a congregation in the next few moments. Again, John led us in prayer at the beginning part. I'd like to lead us in prayer again, um, first for our community, then for the Church of Fairfield, and last but not least, our own souls. So, if you would, um, I would like first to ask you if you would. And you are able, if you would kneel down with me right now. Let me ask you this one. I'm going to ask you to pray by yourself. I want you to pray that God, through this tragedy and this evil, that God would bring. Change to our city and community, namely, that God would bring justice back, mercy, and kindness to this community. Those are appropriate things to pray for. They are temporal, but they are nonetheless, I believe, the heart of God. Will you pray for justice, for mercy, and kindness to abound in this community as a result of the sacrifice of a man's life? Will you pray that right now?
Now let me ask you to pray for God's people in this place. There are believers scattered throughout our community, people who love Jesus. And I want us to pray that God would awaken within us. God would make us aware, keenly aware of the eternal responsibility we have to be people who practically, compassionately live out our faith in our community and who speak the life-giving words of our crucified and risen Savior. Will you pray for the church? Pray for the church to be awakened and to see its responsibility to be the people of God, to be a city shining on a hill that people will see and be attracted to our Lord and Savior. Pray for the church right now. Last but not least, will you take time to pray for your own heart and soul? Will you ask the Lord, Lord, am I truly living out my faith in a way that touches people in a tangible, practical way? Am I just talking the talk or am I walking it too? And allow the life of an individual, a brother who has inspired a community, allow it to be an inspiration to you and say, Lord, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to change as a result? Perhaps it's to pray more. Perhaps it's to get more involved in our community, be a part of a Kiwanis club, or to be a part of something that reaches into the community for the sake of Christ and with the name of Christ. Will you pray that regarding your own soul right now? Gracious Father, we come to you as your people with our arms held out, um, empty, with nothing to give you and no power in and of ourselves to change the world in which we live. And yet you have given us a truth, and you have given to us the spirit of the living God to strengthen us for your work. You've called us to be people who love God, love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbors, not just in word, but in deed. You have called us to not be of the world, but to live in the world and impact the world. We pray that you would forgive us for our ambivalence to things that are happening in our city until it happens to someone we know. We pray that you would give us a heart and a burden for those 
here that are made in your image to show them the love of Christ and to proclaim to them the love of Christ to a neighbor or kids in school. And Lord, we just ask that you would work in an amazing way through this tragedy and through the grief and through the anger that you would bring about an amazing work here. And we cry out to you in the name of Jesus that you would do this because we know that he has all authority in heaven and on earth and under the earth and he is the one who orders all the things in our world. And so, Lord, we pray, be compassionate, be merciful, be gracious to your people. In his name we pray, amen. You can be seated.